Hello and welcome to The Wise Why. Now, if I get this man's name correct, I will be blown away. I am joined by David Petraco. Did I get it right? Yay! I practiced that one. And you don't have to ever say it again. Just after that, it's just David. I'm David. (laughs) So I met David in the pandemic and we share a love of big... That sounds rude. I'm going to change that. (laughs) We share a love of boats now the boats i talk about are not anywhere near the ships that captain david works on so enough about me and straight over to david please explain to the audience who you are good question (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm just a guy um i grew up in uh, boston massachusetts or around there um uh for some odd reason i was um always fascinated by um, adventure stories when um, when I was growing up I read up books and books and books about people sailing and doing adventures all over the world and historically most adventures were at sea so uh, that, there was a big fo- focus for that and uh, as I think I said to you before um, you know I said to my parents I think I was 10 I said I'm gonna run away and to, to, to sea and they like, well, don't be silly. There are no ships out there. You know, we have airplanes now. And I thought, oh, what a shame. Uh, kind of like a Jimmy Buffett song, you know. <laughs> um, but um, eventually I figured out that there were ships. Um, and I had a big conundrum um, because when I started thinking about what I do after high school, um, I had a couple options. Um, one was to run away, uh, which was a high in the choice, except my father used to say, look, you know, you, you've got to go to school. You've got to get a degree. If you want to be a bum after that, feel free. You can be a bum with a degree in your pocket. Um, uh, another was to do the traditional, I grew up in a very traditional, uh, school and they said, you have two choices out of school. You can go, go to Harvard or MIT which were two of the leading universities. And that didn't sound right. And then I found out you could go to see, or you could go to a university to become a officer of a ship, except it was a military school. And I really don't like being told what to do. So I, so I had just been to an interview at a normal college and it, it, it was around Boston. And I just happened to leave at rush hour in the afternoon. And I ended up on the Boston Orbital Road in jam-packed traffic. And I just started to look around me. And for as far as I could see behind me, in front of me, there were just men in white shirts and ties, zombie-faced, stuck in traffic. And I thought, I don't care how bad the military is. I am not going to do this. So I went to sea. So that's how it started. I love that. And I think we've all been there at some point in our lives where you've looked and you've gone, I don't want this. I really, really, I I can, nay, I can honestly say there's that, it's it's almost like you're in a wind tunnel and you just go, no, this is not (laughs) right for me. I don't know that's my version. (laughs) The irony is uh, I, I love what I do now, but Um, when my kids were in high school and they needed to do their one week uh, job placement, uh, I got them to come into my office and they worked in the data processing center. 
And they both said to me, Dad, thank you so much. You've really shown us what we don't want to do with our lives. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny, isn't it? Because you, you work on or you work around big ships. You've worked on the ships. And people think about ships, but they don't think about the, you, you go and you look at the sea and you see a big container ship or you're sailing around the world somewhere and you or flying and you look down and you see this huge boat. But you don't think about all the infrastructure and the people behind that. You just think, oh, that's a lovely boat. And I thought it'd be really lovely to explain a bit more about what your job involves, because okay. people have no idea. OK, so um, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, I mean, the merchant fleet, full stop moves 90 to 95% of all goods in the world and always has done, did so through the pandemic. Uh, we had seafarers from all over the world that couldn't get on ships, that couldn't get off ships. They were the pariah of the world because they were foreigners. They traveled. Obviously, they've got disease. No, these guys did incredible hours. Some of them would sail for over a year without being able to get home. They have no internet on board or very little internet. So they have no connectivity. It is a really hard job. And yet we expect them to do 100% perfect job. If they don't, they're on the front page of the newspaper. They're put into jail. Um, don't get me going on this. But, <laughs> And, and, you know, there, there are only just over a million seafarers in the world. It is a very small number when you look at global stuff, but they move 90% of the world's cargo. And, you know, we, we, we had a, a, a gentleman, one of our members, who used to say that without shipping, half the world would starve to death, the other half would freeze to death. So, you know, it's just amazing what, what these guys did. And I'm very proud I was part of that for about 20 years. Um, I got to um, sail on very big ships uh, all over the world. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a difference. Some ships go back and forth on, on the same route, which is fine. Other ships, are, which are called tramp ships, uh, can do anything, can go anywhere in the world. And I love that. You know, I, I love never knowing where I was going. Uh, going somewhere different all the time, countries all over the world. Um, and I just loved it. And, you know, like I said, I did that for 20 years. And me being me, um, I thought when I wasn't on board ship, uh, most people say, well, I'm getting off the ship. I get to go home. No, I bought a boat and lived in the Caribbean. So <laughs> I, I, I get it. That Once you get, and, and I had a friend come over yesterday, they just bought a narrowboat. It's a completely different thing. But of course, I lived on a Dutch barge for, and then I also lived on a fishing vessel. And I loved that life because it was, <laughs> you can't explain it. I, I, I wouldn't go back to it now. I like my bricks and mortar, but I loved my life on board the vessel and and I just there was a you know people don't realize that if somebody came on my boat I didn't want on my boat I could kick them off under the law of piracy <laughs> so I could say no get off you're on my boat you're not welcome get off it's piracy and you know you they were talking about a Dutch barge but you know in moored up in London but it's the rules applied <laughs> so yeah it's I don't think people realize and obviously my husband has a slight link to this with what he does and they had some massive issues oh not massive issues that's not fair but there was obviously we have a war going on and paying people is um complex um, and i'm sure you've come across that issue as well yes and um i mean the war is a, a, a terrible terrible thing 
but uh, 15% of the world's maritime, the world mariners come from either the Ukraine or Russia. And one of the wonderful things is that we see, keep seeing photographs of Russian and Ukrainian seafarers sailing together, you know, linking arms, holding their flags up, saying, this ain't us. You know, we're seafarers. We ascend this, I won't use that word, um, but um, it, 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 it is extremely difficult. Uh, they can't get home. They can't get paid. Um, you know, they, they're not sure about their families. Um, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I don't want to play on it because obviously it's a political platform, but it was really nice for you to share uh, what people are going through right now. So going on to a lighter subject. We're <laughs> just throwing people off your boat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. I am not saying in any way, shape or form, but I'm also aware that it is, oh, is it 9.40 in the morning? Um, and I don't want to go down that political ramp. But I do want to know how you ended up in the UK because... Boston to the UK, there's, there's, there's quite a journey there. Nah, nah, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's just a hop across the pond, same <laughs> language, same culture, no big deal. Um, but if I had to blame a reason, it's a woman. Oh, now, obviously, <laughs> obviously, is this the woman that I might know? No. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, no, she's going to kill me with this one. Okay, so a woman brought you here. <laughs> that's up to you if you want to share or not <laughs> but I know a woman definitely keeps you here today and she is incredible Ab absolutely <laughs> and she's just on the other side of that door telling me to smile <laughs> yeah, and, and I wouldn't have met you without that incredible lady so you know hats off to your wife there absolutely um so you've got children were they did they come were they brought up in the UK <clears throat> yes so um uh, two, two, two children. I, I, I keep calling them kids and children, but uh, Lynn's keeps reminding me that they're nearly 30 years old now. Um, they were born in the UK, raised in the UK. Uh, they're very fortunate to have um, uh, dual nationality, uh, so US and UK. And in fact, my son uh, a couple of years ago did some VSO volunteer work in Cambodia. And I said to him, I said, look, you're a good-looking guy, but the most attractive thing about you is that you've got two passports. So, <laughs> <laughs> just, just, <laughs> and he actually, he actually, lived, yeah, 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 you, you know, Jimmy, and he, he, he actually uh, lived out there for three months, and um, he lived with a foster family in a, a bamboo shack out in the middle of the jungle, and. Wow. Uh, no doors, no windows, and um, he um, he said his his foster parents. He, he called them mum and dad, which was very sweet. But he says, oh, he says my mum, she has to fight off all the other mums who want me to marry their daughters. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I can believe it's it's really funny because I mean it's not something that you you normally talk about. But years ago, when I first met my husband, we went on a holiday and we went in. Now Dennis has seen the world. He has seen every single part of the world because, like you, he was on ships for a while. So, you know, he was out there as an engineer. And um, 
I went out there quite, and I will say naive, and I thought it was quite worldly, but we went to just the Gambia and my eyes were open. And I mean open. The two tour guides that helped us, uh, so we had two different people because we wanted to share our, our and I'm going to say it, our wealth around because we got, a, we had a driver and we also had a tour guide and there, there were different uh, levels of how they were surviving out there. One of them was renting a taxi off a man that we had to put it, we weren't supposed to push it. He was supposed to push it with a group of other people to get it to bump start. But we were like, no, we're in there, we're helping you. So we were pushing this car to bump start it so he could earn his money. So when we left the Gambia, we left them both, which this sounds like a, a huge amount, a little bit amount of money really to us. We both left that, we left them both 50 pounds in their money. That was enough for them to live on for nearly two years. The house that we went to, he'd asked us what we liked. We liked rice or couscous. And I, in my naivety said, well, I prefer couscous. And I didn't realize that they were, that he was gonna go to the market to get the couscous specially. And they cooked us a meal and we sat on the floor in their house. And I'm gonna say, explain this house to you. He had his sister and her children and his mother and his other three sisters living with him. And his sister and the children were from the, the 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 husband was elsewhere with a new wife so it was now his responsibility he didn't know how old he was because he stopped going to school at about 11 mm-hmm. and they were playing football using a water bottle that once some tourist had dropped somewhere yeah. so and you know we, we to explain the difference and to sit on that floor and eat their food and just be blown away that they don't have running water. The well is what my this is Gambia, which is supposed to be more um, evolved. And until you've seen something like that, it, you, there is naive, naivety. I'm not. I get it wrong. I'm on a political one this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just really eye-opening to see how far our money could go and help. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, just just a couple, you know, stories that that, that you evoked in my memory one was when my son was out in cambodia um i i had the opportunity to have a, a quick skype with him at, at some point and uh, there were so many funny stories coming out one was that he they gave him a rusty old bicycle to do his volunteer work and as he used to ride through the village he used to say that all the little children would run after him um, uh, and they were naked and I said, James, when you come back to the UK, don't tell stories about naked children running after you. <laughs> but the other one was really sweet. He said, he said, these are the poorest people I've ever known. Uh, they, the families live on less than a dollar a week per family. Yeah. He says, but yet they're the happiest people I've ever known. And he says, nobody is allowed to be sad in the village. If anybody has a problem, the entire village come around, put a big pot of tea on, and they sing songs and they tell stories until everybody's laughing. And he says, how is it, Dad, that I'm 18 and I've never seen this? And I said to him, I said, be thankful that you've seen this at 18 because there are a lot of people that have never seen that. Yeah. And a, another story that really touches me is I was on a ship and we used to go up the Paramount Paramaribo River in uh, uh, old Dutch Uganda, which is uh, Belem, I think now. Uh, no, it's not. Anyway, 
uh, <laughs> down down in South America. And we were having some work done in the uh, shipyard, and I met this guy, and he was so desperate to learn. He was in his early 20s. And we used to trade down there about every month between New Orleans and there. So in New Orleans, I, I used to go and I used to buy sacks of books, you know, and we would come up. And when he saw our ship coming up the river, he would walk 10 miles to meet me so that I could teach him mathematics and English and et cetera, et cetera, and give him these books. And then he would walk back and do a full day's work again. Um, but it was that power to learn the, you know, he just wanted to better himself and better his family through education. And I suppose that's part of what I do now is I, I work for an educational charity uh, internationally uh, because I believe that, uh, you know, as we talked about, you know, these big ships, you make a wrong decision and things can go bad very, very quickly. Um, you know, you, you, people's lives, the environment. And I believe that it's only through sharing information and ideas that you can make better decisions. And that's what I dedicate my life to now. Um, and it's just such a joy to do that. You, um, you host quite a lot of webinars, don't you? We do indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, so we're an international organization. We're a charity. We have about 50 branches around the world. Um, uh, great working with them. Uh, they put on their own local technical events and we used to put on technical events and <clears throat> particularly, I mean, it's one thing in London, you know, if there's a meeting in London, you get a bunch of people coming around, but if you're in India, if you're in the Philippines, if you're in Bangladesh, um, it's very difficult for people to come around for an evening meeting. So <clears throat> long before the pandemic, uh, probably just after 2010, we heard about this thing called, um, um, I don't think they were called webinars at the time, but they were. And we thought, well, we'll call them virtual branch. And we would do that. And we could think, well, we'll hold technical meetings, but anybody can come, you know, and it doesn't matter where they are geographically. And of course, back in those days, we thought, well, like a big physical event, you need a year to plan it. So we would do one or two a year and think we're doing a great job, you know, because we'd get 50 people, you know, to these events. Um, then when the pandemic hit, uh, we thought, how do we, we need to keep reaching out to our membership, which are international. And, you know, the idea was, well, let's ramp up these webinars. And now we're averaging, we market on a Monday and we get a thousand people online by a Thursday and we do this you know a couple times a month and it's a great way of reaching out and sharing information uh, so yeah and that's where we met obviously because uh, we were pandemic and there was that thing of setting up your office and and I hope that I've helped a little bit with some nuggets of information like I did say that I call myself, you, you called me the voice in your head. Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've got my Kirsty list that comes out every time I do a webinar, and it's tell a story, be engaging, <laughs> smile, 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 smile. It's so important. And even look, look, this morning, we have been talking for nearly 20 minutes, and how many stories have we shared? How many 
memories have we brought in and evoked by sharing this beautiful communication skills that we can do? I'm going to go to the questions and the, the responses because we've had some lovely... <laughs> <laughs> just, just before you start that, I have to say, you were telling me to smile, smile, smile. And I said, Kirsty, some of the times I'm talking about shipwrecks. I'm talking about casualties. And you said, oh, no, no, no worries. I'll tell you how to cry. <laughs> I'd forgotten that, but yes, that's a very good point because it's not about smiling, actually. Smile is the easy way to, to sell it. It's about lifting your cheekbones. Because if you lift your cheekbones, then you've got energy in your face. So you're absolutely spot on. And yes, I, I can't remember who it was that said it. I thought it was Liza Minnelli said it about her mom, Judy Garland, who said you have to smile or cry through a song. And I have looked for that quote, but I can't find it. But it's it's something that stuck with me that I heard somewhere that you either laugh or cry through a song. And and it's it is really you know, when you talk about something heartbreaking and it does affect you and you are moved by it you do genuinely lift your cheekbones so yes you smile or you cry so there you go a top tip we've had some lovely people i'm loving the first comment i'm going to read out because i can't not which is from a lovely lady called lindsay patraco and she says we trained him to look at the camera <laughs> he forgets i love it <laughs> um and then annette says now this is what i call community absolutely and and you know we do have that in pockets in the uk and i and i love I mean, my little place that i live in we all do that someone's down and we're there and we're grabbing that cup of coffee or maybe some sparkles if it's in the afternoon and we are there supporting and holding each other because it's really dear to do that right now especially now um oh rubina's Re joined us she says yes my father used to walk miles to get his education so yeah, because Rubina's, I can't remember where her family are from, I'm sure she will tell me. And Jill G uh, G Gake, I hope I've said that correctly, has joined us, said some culture, absolutely. So on your journeys, what uh, you must have seen either something absolutely spectacular, like the Northern Lights that most of us have not seen, or, um, I don't know, Killer Whale. You must have seen something. What's been one of the most magical things you have seen whilst you've been out at sea? Or a couple of them. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, the world is just so beautiful. Uh, it's just where, where do you stop? You know, the dolphins playing on the bow and the sunrises and the sunsets. But one, one of my, my most fabulous moments, I was standing watch, uh, probably five in the morning, and the AB who was with me, which is uh, not a licensed uh, um, post, uh, but in, in the States, uh, we have some people that we refer to, and there's probably very politically incorrect as hillbillies. You know, they grow up in the mountains and et cetera, et cetera. And this guy was largely uneducated, not, not intelligent. He was very intelligent, just uneducated. But he had a dirty and ripped T-shirt, uh, probably never worn a suit in his life. Um, his teeth weren't good. He was the most fabulous company. I, I love the guy. But there was this wonderful sunrise with just so many colors. And he turns to me and he says, mate, I'm going to get me a tie that color. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think my husband would probably wear that. <laughs> I don't know, because he's Dutch. And if it's a, a ready orange, he's there. <laughs> it, it, that's, a, that's a beautiful story. And... Uh, yeah, Dennis has told me stories about 
watching the dolphins and the Mickey whales. And he's shared a little bit. He's very private about that time. And, and I respect it, but I do get to hear some stories. So was there any moment where you just went as you're standing without the ship going down and you're standing on the bow? <laughs> it's like, I've got Titanic in my head, which is why the ship's not going down, but you're standing on the bow and you're just looking and you're just able to breathe, really breathe. Uh, uh, particularly sailing, you know, um, you know, when you're offshore on a sailboat uh, and you're just plunging through the waves and you just go up to the bow and all you hear is the, the, the music of the world, you know, the sound of the waves, uh, everything's beautiful, um, everything's natural, you know, there's no engines, there's no mechanical noises um, and it's just, just magical. I want to be there. I want to be yeah. <laughs> so do you have a boat now? I know that Lindsay volunteers with a boat, but do you have a boat now that you go out on? I love every kind of boat there is. And every time we go into Costco, Lindsay has to put me in handcuffs so that I don't buy more boats. Um, <laughs> but no, we, we do not have a yacht. But um, we've done canal holidays. We uh, Just over Easter, we did a broad Norfolk Broads holiday uh, where we chartered a boat. Uh, in the past, we've uh, spent, you know, many years chartering boats off of Croatia, um, sailboats, and it's just Linz and I, and we're just, you know, she's a yacht skipper as well, uh, even though I don't let her. Um, uh. <laughs> do you pull rank? Do you say I'm the captain here? <laughs> no, I just do it. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, it's probably the opposite. Uh, one time when she first got her qualification as skipper, I made her sign the papers to be skipper, knowing that if anything went wrong, I didn't want my license to be quote <laughs> <laughs> She was getting, I, I, I feel for you when you get off this call. I really do. I, so I, there's an interesting story there, which we'll talk about before we came on air. So I sailed this Dutch barge all the way from Rochester uh, through the Thames Estuary and up to, well, into London and then on to Windsor. And, the stories I have of the the engine cutting out in the middle of um, the estuary and we're like going around in circles and I'm like, oh, uh, I was mooring the boat up at Teddington Lock. Now, if anyone who's not listening and anyone who's listening has never thrown a rope out or thrown the line out will will not understand this, but in there was some railings on the boat and there was a gap where you stopped, got on and off the boat and you're supposed to have a safety chain across it, but we couldn't be bothered to put it on. And so I came into Teddington Lock and I threw the rope out to throw the line and I went with the line. <laughs> <laughs> I had to grab the railing. Now, thankfully, I was a lot younger in those days. Flip myself back onto the boat because if I'd gone down, I was going against the dock. I wouldn't be here. The rudder was going to get me. Up on the bow, the guys who were supposed to throw out the lead line hadn't, because I was on the, the back end, I'll call it, rather than what I really want to call it. Um, and they looked around and went, you're all right, after I'd flipped myself back on the boat. And I'm like, did you not see that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if I had gone down, wow. And that's how quick it can happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Things can go wrong very, very quickly. And you've always got to be alert and not just alert for yourself, but alert for your shipmates as well. Um, and going back to shipping, um, it's the mental health as well. Uh, there's a, a, a huge 
pressure on people at sea. Uh, it's a very closed community. Uh, I don't want to you know, make it sound like it's miserable, but you know, it's one of those things that you really have to be careful about is um, uh, you know, fatigue, mental health, um, those are real issues that you need to be aware of in yourself and in others. Sorry, we were talking about people being flung overboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really important to remember because people don't realise that you're on board for anything from, what, 30 days to a year? Yeah, can be, yeah. Yeah, and, and people don't realise that. And that, you know, if you've got a family at home, if you're working offshore, then you can, it, it's, it's, it's challenging, it really is. And, you know, years ago, I, I used to hang out with some people that worked on the rigs in Aberdeen, and, and that was the same thing. It was that pattern of offshore, onshore, and, and that mm. continual, where am I? You know, I'm on, I'm on land now, but when I'm on, and, and it's very, you know, they'd have two months on, two months off. So thank you for sharing that. This, this I, 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 There are benefits as well, you know. Go for the benefits. <laughs> I, I mean, I was 20 years old. I was making you know, a hundred grand and only working six months a year, you know, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I'm so grateful you were brave enough to, to join me this morning. So you get to turn the questions around, you get to ask me something and I get to not know what it is. So I have to see if I can think on my feet, just like I put you through for the last 29 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, uh, from a Dutch barge to England, what brought you to England? So I am English, so I have lived everywhere, and I do mean I've lived everywhere. So I grew up in Surrey, um, and then I went and moved. So I've lived in Scotland, <laughs> I've lived in Yorkshire, um, I moved into London, obviously, to do my training. And then I met my wonderful husband when I was 37 in the local town, I nearly said it there, but in the local town, and I wouldn't go out with him, I ran away, I would not go out with this beautiful, now, you, yeah, Holland's been a big feature in my life, because I had a Dutch barge with a, a previous relationship, and I met, and I'd, I'd gone out with some people who'd worked for BP, so I, I understood the offshore, onshore life, and I met my husband in the local town, and he stood, I was doing a promotion, and I can't believe I'm going to share this, I was doing a promotion, and I stopped him and said, because I was an actor at the time, would you like to go to the gym? And he went, no, I don't think you're, you can get me a better membership than I've got. And then somehow we got into this conversation about offshore, onshore shipping. And somehow I went, oh, no, you're not an engineer, are you? And he said, <laughs> yes. And I went, because I'd, um, I'd just broken up with an engineer. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it again. And I'm not doing it with somebody from the onshore, offshore lifestyle. I'm just not going there. So I ran away and he, went, he was like, lovely to meet you. And he was a bit younger. And then I bounced him for about a month and I wouldn't go out with him. And then he went, well, you, this is your last chance. And a friend said, just take it. And I took it and I do not look back. This is, he is the best man I know. Uh, the relationship I have is very similar with you and Lindsay. It's just, <laughs> it's true respect. Mm. Well, Real I, respect. Yeah, I I have the, the most fabulous wife, just marvelous. But I I ordered her on the internet. <laughs> I'm sure you did, didn't. <laughs> oh, Lindsay, I love you. I'm going to leave it on that note because it's too funny to finish. And I I really wish I had a off camera now in your house. <laughs> 
and I think you're gonna yeah go for it Lindsay thank you so much for joining me this morning and if you don't hear from me again (laughs) we know why this has been an absolute blast thank you take care Kirsty and thanks for all your help no problem